chapter 15. I'm going to begin at verse number 17. If you've been in church your whole life, you've more than likely heard this story dozens, if not hundreds of times uh, through Sunday school 101, 201, 301. You know the story of the prodigal son. If this is your first time ever in church, don't even worry. We got you. We're going to break this story all the way down so that you can feel it in your heart. If you have your Bible, say, let's go. If you have your iPad, say, let's go. If you have your Android, please, I only have 30 more seconds. I really have to get right to it. I just need you to just get your Wi-Fi together. And uh, please, just, I know it's loading and loading. We, we can't shut the system down for you. We just need you to just grab it and let's go. Let me give you some context very quickly. Younger son in Luke 15, Jesus is telling the story, goes to his father before his father dies. He said, give me my inheritance. You weren't supposed to get an inheritance until after the father died. Younger son said, I ain't got that kind of time. I want my money and I want it now. Takes the money from his dad, goes out in what the Bible calls riotous living, wild living, parties, just just going crazy, losing his mind, spends all of the money until he is broke. Boom. Ain't it something soon as you get broke, all of a sudden it get worse, right? A famine breaks in out of nowhere. I just soon as it was just the famine was waiting till he had no money, said, Here I am. Just now he has to hire himself out as a servant. The Bible says he is feeding pig slop. He is literally uh, in a pig pen feeding. His stomach is groaning for what the pigs are eating. You know you are far from God when slop look good to you. And so his stomach started groaning and he started feeling his pain and started thinking to himself, what am I doing out here in the pig pen? Let me go back home where they, my servants, the servants are eating more than this. So that's where we are in the story. Let's pick it up at verse number 20, uh, Luke 15. I'm going to start verse number 20. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, let me say it again. While he was still a long way off, I love this part. It says that the father saw him. I love it because you don't need to be close for God to see you. God can see you from far away. God can see you from a mile away. And it says that he was not filled with condemnation. But he was filled with compassion for him. Ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe. Put it on him. Put a finger, put a ring on his finger. Sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and let's party. Because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he's found. For this son of mine was gone, but he's back. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, watch this part, he heard music and dancing. Please underline that. Remember that. I thought it was a trip because it's one thing to hear music. It's another thing to hear people dancing. He heard. He heard the, you know what I'm saying? That's why I bought my boots today so y'all can hear the... He heard the dancing. He called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. They say, your brother has come, he replied, and your father's killed the fattened calf because he have him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry, refused to go in. The father went out and had to beg him and plead with him, please come inside. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving 
for you it never disobeyed your orders that you never gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends but when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes I know how to quiet a church boy I'm trying to tell you just, just let it hang right then when he comes home you killed the fattened calf for him my son the father says you're always with me everything I have is yours but we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. The title of my message is a house is not a home. A house is not a home. Push somebody next to you and say a house is not a home. And if you feel like saying it, go home. Say a house is not a home. Ooh. 40 and over, 40 and over, 40 and over. Okay, 35 and over, 35 and over, 35 and over. Now's another home. Chair is but a chair. God, open up our eyes and our ears that we may receive a word from you that would change and transform our lives forevermore. Hide me behind your cross. Let your voice be louder than mine. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody say amen, 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 amen. A house is not a home. I'm going to reveal something about my marriage. I'm going to uh, reveal an issue that I've been having in my marriage. That's right. These are my confessions. Watch this. Watch this. Watch. Yes. Yes. This is, I got a confession. Uh, we've been dealing with some issue in my marriage for 14 years. We've been married 14 years and this, man, this, this, this issue has been recurring. Husbands, you should feel me on this. If you feel me, just say something. Uh, in my marriage, my wife constantly sends me to the store. That's it, brother. God bless you, brother. God bless you. I feel you. I'm with you. In Columbia, if you're not married yet, just, just peep game. Just, just stick in here. I got you. I'm telling you that we don't go to the store when you marry. You get sent to the store. So my wife will send me to the store, and she does this thing. It gets on my nerves. She does these things, uh, but she says, she says, sweetie, when you go to the store, she gets real specific about what she wants from the store. She says, sweetie, when you go to the store, just, I just need you to get some milk, some eggs, and some bread. I say, boom, got it. Don't even worry about it. Done. She says, no, repeat what I said. I say, I'm grown. I'm not about to repeat nothing. I'm the lead pastor of Union Charlotte. She says, no, you need to repeat it. I need to know that you got it, that you know it. I say, milk, eggs, bread, milk, eggs, bread. Boom, I got it. As soon as I get to the car on my phone, it's her. Text message. Don't forget, milk, eggs, bread. I said, girl, I got it. What, what is your problem? Then I'm trying to tell you, it's, it's an issue. I'm just saying, we need counseling. I, what is going on? Leave me alone. Soon as I get to Target, I'm sitting outside, and I hear, boop, 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 email notification. It's my wife, and she put pictures, milk, eggs. And bread. UBC, I'm telling you, this is what she does. And I'm sitting there saying, I got it. I got it. And y'all, I, I hate to admit this. Uh, uh, this has happened at least five times in my marriage. I have come home with bags of groceries. Thrown them on the table. Feeling extremely accomplished for the task that I've just done for my wife. 
She looks in the bags and I watch her just looking, just looking. And then she looks at me and she looks in the back and looks at me and she looks. She says, you did it again. I said, did what? She said, you forgot the milk and the eggs and the bread. And I'm like, there's no way, there's no way, there's no way. There's no way. I see the mint chip ice cream I got and the cookie dough that I purchased. And, oh, yeah, I did get that book and da da da. And I, I, I forgot the milk and the eggs and the bread. Now, I know you're judging me. Let's stop the judgment right now. You're sitting there, you're thinking, how is it possible for you to get all those reminders, all those notifications, and yet forget the very thing that she sent you to go get? What happens is on my way to the store, I had good intentions. But when I walked in the store, I was supposed to fulfill her assignment. But my assignment took over. And I hijacked her list for mine. I had good intentions, but when I walked in and saw what I wanted, I forgot all about the stuff that she wanted. This is the plight of God. Because God has sent the church into the earth. And he said, I want the church to do a particular thing in the earth. And on our way to fulfilling God's purpose, we hijacked his assignment for our own. And God is looking at the church and we got all these ministries and all these bags and all this stuff saying, God, look what we did. And God's looking through the bag. But what about the stuff that I wanted you to do? Because Christianity is not about God fulfilling your list. It's about you fulfilling God's list. It's not about God fulfilling your dreams. It's about you fulfilling God's dream in the earth. And so we got to tap into what was God's assignment for us when he put us in the earth. And I believe that God cares about a particular thing today that we're going to talk about. And I would actually argue this is probably the number one thing that God cares about. What does God care about? God cares about family. But but not just your individual family. God cares about his family. The kingdom family. The body of Christ. I I say that because we look at verses like Ephesians chapter 2 verse 19. I'm going to run through these scriptures real fast. Write them down. You can look them up later. Underline them. Highlight them. Uh, Two of them I'm going to put up there. The other two just flow with me. Ephesians 2 19 says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household family. John 1.12 says, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, family. Romans 8.29, write this down, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. That's family. Romans 8.15, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him, we cry, Abba, Father. That is family. Here is the heart of God. It is the heart of God to bring as many people in the family as he possibly can. 
which means that God doesn't want you just to see church as an organization. He wants you to see it as a family. God doesn't want you to see the church as just an institution. He wants you to see it as a family. You are not just joining a gathering. You are joining a family. And you know that in a family, you have brothers and sisters you like. And then you have brothers and sisters that you are forgiving on a daily basis. Just <laughs> but God is saying, my heart is to add as many people as possible to the family as we can. And so you have scriptures in the Bible where Jesus says that he is the type of God that if he had 99 sheep who were doing well, he would leave the 99 and go after the one who was lost. Ooh, I love scriptures like that. Why? Because it means that God wants to add people to the family so bad he don't even wait for you to come find him. God will leave where he is to come and find you. Okay, can we preach this just for one moment? Is there anybody that's watching at any campus or in the room that can give God a 30-second praise break? Pastor, why do I need to give God a praise break? Can you praise him just for the fact that he came and found you? Is there anybody in the room that just says, you know what, this is not the best week I've ever had. My mood is not even the best right now. But one thing I can rejoice over is that when I wasn't smart enough to come looking for God, he was smart enough to come looking for me. Is there anybody in the room that can open up your mouth and rejoice and say, God, I thank you because you found me. Okay, I don't want to put your business in the street, but let's tell on ourselves for a second, me included. For some of us, when God found us. He didn't find us when we were doing well. He found us in a club. For some of us, he found you with weed in your hand. For some of us, he found us after a divorce. He found us during an addiction. He found us when we thought about giving up our lives. And all of a sudden, you were getting ready to take your life. But somebody rang the doorbell at just the right time. And you thought it was just a mailman. But it was God coming to stop you from doing something that was going to change the destiny and trajectory of your world. Is there anybody in the room that says, God, I praise you for finding me. It wasn't good preaching that found you. God found you. It wasn't good keyboard playing. God found you. You got to get to a place where you recognize that I'm here because the Lord found me. So here's the dilemma. The dilemma is if God is finding people, and he wants to add as many people to the family as he possibly can. Why isn't the family bigger than what it is? Why aren't there more people in the family? Why isn't every service and every church just overflowing with people? Can I tell you why I think that there's not more people in the family? Because while God be drawing them in, his children be keeping them out. Look at somebody and say, are you wearing shoes? Because he may step on toes today. So please put on shoes and socks. Just shoes and socks. But that's why I wore these shoes. I wore these shoes because I'm going to step on my own toes tonight. Don't worry. Today, I'm just, it's going to be me too. It's going to be me too. What I'm saying to you is that oftentimes what's stopping the family from growing is that the children who are already in the family have become gatekeepers that start to push the people out the family who God's trying to get in the door. Because church people love to say we want lost people until they show up. And then we find out we don't want them as much as we say that we do. I know that because I got two kids. 
I have an eight-year-old daughter. My daughter just turned eight years old yesterday. Happy birthday, baby. We love you. So I have an eight-year-old daughter, six-year-old son, and they, they always come to me, Daddy, please, can our friends come over, please? Can you let them come over? I'm like, no, man, we ain't got time today. I just don't feel like it. Daddy, please let them come over. You'll be the best daddy in the world if you would just let them come over. I say, okay. As soon as their friends come over, everything is good until those kids start playing with their toys. And I'll see my kids look at them and say, excuse me, if you don't put that toy down, that is not your toy. You better put my Spider-Man down right now. My, my, my wife makes these amazing chicken wings. She, she just fry them up, just some good chicken wings. And, and so the kids would come in the kitchen and the friends would start eating the chicken wings. And my kids would look at them and say, have you have no decency? Did, you, did your mama not raise you right? Did, you, did your parents really drop you off and didn't give you any food? If you don't put my mama's chicken down. The kids will come over and they start they start hitting the remote, just playing with the remote and watching TV. And my kids are just angry. Say, we don't watch that show in this house. Who told you that I don't watch that? They just slap the remote out the hands. And it sounds funny until you realize we do the same thing. We say, God, can we please get some lost people in this church? Please? Can you please send revival? God said, y'all sure? Yeah, I'm sure. Then they come and we say, excuse me, why is the parking lot so packed? I have to walk up to the church? Y'all making me park over here? Shuttle, shuttle. I need a shuttle now. Shuttle. You come in and be like, are they in my seat? Oh, uh, I sit there. Oh my! Hosts, please just hosts. It's my seat. That's my. We we so territorial with our seats. We sneak into the auditorium. We put the earring on the seat. Just paper. Just somebody give me something. Just put it there on the seat. Just this is mine. Just mine. We go to kids check-in and all the lost people sitting there with the kids and we're sitting in the back of the line like, really? Y'all got me all the way back here because we say we want lost people. We say we want the unchurched. We say we want the hurting and the broken and until they come in and now God has a struggle with this church because God is working on a group of people to bring them in but the people who are already in are having a difficult time with the people that are coming in and now there is this tension between God's assignment and ours between God's dream and ours between God's list and ours it is where we get to the prodigal son because the prodigal son represents a group of people who may feel far from God. But here's what I love about the story of the prodigal son. The Bible says that the son decides I'm coming home. That's it. I'm just coming, going back home and I'm coming to my senses and I'm going there. And when it says when he gets there, the father is standing and he sees him from a long way off. Bible says the father run y'all. The father takes off, kisses him, puts a robe on his back, sandals on his feet, ring on his finger, kills the fattened calf. Why does Luke put this story in the Bible? He puts the story and writes this down because this is my first point. No matter how far away you are from God, you can always come back home. 
The writer wants to make it clear that you are never too far away. But pastor, you don't know how many mistakes I've made. No, you don't know how much grace God has. You don't know his love. You don't know that he is slow to anger, but abounding in love. You don't know that he is a God that came to seek and save that which was lost. And his arms are open wide. I don't care how many churches closed a door on you. God has never shut a door on you. God says, my arms are open wide. Even if the church's arms seem to be closed. And if you've been in church your whole life and you're sitting there saying, man, this could be me and maybe today is the first day you've ever been in church and you got to find wherever you are and say, hey, you are never too far away. You know what people say to me? They say to me, they say, pastor, I would come back to church. I really would. Soon as I get myself together, I'm coming back to church. Saying that you're going to come back to church when you get yourself together is like saying, I'll, I'll take a shower. Just let me wash up first, and then I can take a shower. I, I, just let me clean myself first, and then I can get in the shower. No. Get in the shower as you are. The church is the shower. This is the space and the place that God wants you to jump into. And can I just reveal a secret? I hope you're here for the first time. I love you. I just want to jump off this stage and just put my arms around you. Can I tell you the truth? The truth is, let me just talk to the soon as I get myself together crew. Can I tell you the truth about the church? We are all in here trying to get ourselves together. We just make it look better than some other people. But the reality is every person in here has one area of their life that they are still trying to get together. Okay, because somebody was looking at you during praise and worship saying, see, if I could just be her or if I could just be him. Can you just testify real quick and say, if y'all was looking at me just in case you thought I was the perfect one. I got an area of my life. I'm still trying to get it together. That's why we're here. Here's what the scripture says. The scripture says, the scripture says, if you go, if you go and jump uh, to, to John and John and John 6 verse 37, it says, all those the father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never, you see that word never? I will never, ever drive them away. And I apologize for every church that may have closed the door on you. I'm telling you that God's arms are open wide. And he says, I'll never drive you away. Okay, let's deal with the oldest son. Can we get to the oldest son real quick? Oldest son is out there in the field. He's doing his thing. And uh, he starts to realize that let me come back in because he's been working and he's been traveling and doing his thing. And then he says, man, let me, let me come back home. I think I'm going to come back home and I'm coming in from, uh, from, from work. And as he gets in, the Bible says that he can hear the music and the dancing. He hears the music and the dancing. So you got to picture this. He's literally walking in from the field and he just hears, you know, just coming in from the work you know what I'm saying he's like oh my lord I just feel I just, I just I just I just feel he's like ooh he's like I I think they're throwing a party at the house 
Ooh, it's a party. It's a party over here. Party over there. Party over. And they start thinking like, wait a minute. Ooh. I bet this is a party for me. I knew it. I knew the day was coming. I knew. <laughs> I knew the, I knew the, I knew the day was, I knew the, I knew the day was coming. It's a party for me, party for me, party for me, party for me. Hey y'all, what's going on? Y'all, what's up? Come to the crib. Uh, is it a party? Yeah. Is it for me? No. Who the party for? Your little brother. <laughs> My who? Your little brother. You mean my no good? Money stealing? Prostitute loving? Party having? Pig smelling brother? That's what you're talking about? We're going to throw a party. Wait. He gets a party? When I've been here this whole time? We're going to have a welcome home Sunday for who? Whatever happened to the been here all year Sunday? When is that going to happen? So the oldest son's got an issue. Because the oldest son is upset. Because he's realizing that the father is celebrating a person that he doesn't feel needs to be celebrated. Now, I've been preaching my whole life. I've been preaching since the age of seven. And right here is a good preaching point for me. This is where I wanted to go in so bad. I said, this is perfect. I want to lay into the older son. I want to go in and just tell y'all how disgusting he is. And how can you have this kind of attitude? And who do you think you are? And as I was writing this message, and I began to write something to the older son about how bad he is, the Holy Spirit stopped me. And said, you are more like the older son than you think. And I had to confront some personal issues in my own life. I'm going to get vulnerable for a second. I'm going to show you a picture of my family. I'm going to put a picture of my family. Can you guys put that picture up, please? The picture of my family, that's my, my mother. That is my father. And it's my three brothers. I have an older brother named Will, a younger brother named Tori. That's probably the only picture I have with my dad in my childhood. I, that's the only, I remember this particular weekend. My dad had a drug addiction. He was in and out of drug rehab programs. He was never in the home for any consistent period of time. So my mom raised us by ourselves. This is one of the few pictures I could find with me and my dad and my brothers in it at the same time. I put my mother up there. I put the graduation thing on because my mother, she, she, she uh, had her GED. I remember my mother had no diploma. She got her GED. She now has her bachelor's degree. She's working on her master's degree. Mom is just crushing it. But mom raised us on her own by herself. And growing up, my mother and I had a lot of conflict and there was a lot of tension in our home because my mom was a foster parent. And so Every day, every week, I'd come home, and, and there'd be kids sitting in the living room. And my, I would come home from school, my mother would say, hey, uh, go say hi to your brother and sister. And I'd be like, who's my brother and sister? There's little Michael and Steph, just say hi. And I'd be like, hey, guys, how are you? Just brother. 
every day I come home, there'd be another kid. And, and I would have an issue with my mom over the kids being in the house. Not because I didn't like foster kids, but because my mother, I saw her struggle just to raise the three of us. And I used to say, Mom, why are you bringing in all these kids? You can barely take care of us. And I used to get so frustrated that I used to say, Mom, why aren't you happy with just us? Why do you need any more kids? Just us. We good. Just raise us. We'll be fine. You're struggling because mommy trying to take care of all these kids. Do you know why my mother was a foster parent? Because she was also a foster child. Can you show the picture, other picture of my mom? That's my mom when she was a child. If you notice, even in the picture, she got on one shoe because she couldn't, she, sometimes she would walk around with one shoe because she didn't have the other shoe. She could only have one. And so my mom is a foster parent, even to this day, because she was a foster child. And I asked my mom, as I got older, I remember we had this conversation last year. I said, mom, come on, tell me the truth. Tell me what is it? Why is it you put so much into these foster children? And my mother said these words, I'll never forget it. She says, son, when you've been lost and you get found, it is your responsibility to go back and make sure nobody else ever go through the thing that you went through. Let me say that one more time. She said, when you've been lost and you get found, it is your responsibility to go back and make sure nobody else has to go through what you went through. Can I tell you my second point? My second point is that winning the loss has to be our top priority. If you are in this room, God is saying if you've been found in any area of your life, it is now your responsibility to go back and pull somebody up who's down right now. If you have a successful marriage, it is your responsibility to start a marriage group. Because you have to make sure nobody else goes through what you went through. If you are good with money, it is your responsibility to start a group. To say, hey, give me every person in this church who's struggling with their finances. I got the blueprint. God pulled me out. And now I get to pull somebody else out. If you are saved in this room, if you are found in this room, it is your responsibility to grab every invite card, go out into your family, go out into your job, and say, I need everybody here for Welcome Home Sunday. Why? Because when you've been lost and you get found, it's your responsibility. To bring someone else in. My mother used to say this. She used to say, son, have you ever missed a Christmas? I said, no. She said, have you ever missed a birthday? I said, no. She said, have you ever missed a dinner? I said, no. She said, have I ever missed a game? I said, no. She said, okay. You see these kids over there? These kids never had a birthday party a day in their life. They've never seen a Christmas tree a day in their life. She would say they never have a good dinner. She said, nobody's ever showed up to their game. She said, can we take our attention off of you for a a moment so that we can put it on someone who needs it or does it always have to be about you your blessing your miracle your breakthrough your next level your next season when you gonna open come open the door I'm going up going up higher I got it but God is saying can we care at all about other people if you've been in church your whole life, this should be hitting your heart and saying, have I made this about me? 
and you are here for the very first time, this is the first time you've been in church, I want to commend you and say, welcome home and here, be here. You don't, don't worry about what everybody else got to say. God just want all of us in the room. Whenever we start talking about lost people, I always get these people who come to me and they'll come to me after say, Pastor, you know, I'm just, I'm leaving, I'm leaving this church. And you say, oh, why, why, why are you leaving the church? And you say, well, Pastor, you know, it's just, it's just not deep enough for me. I, I want something deeper. I, 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 I want to know about soteriology. The study of salvation, eschatology. The study of the end times, ecclesiology. I want to talk about the study of the church, demonology. I want to know about demonic activity, pneumatology. I came to hear about the Holy Spirit. And, and, and I'm always amazed because sometimes the deepest people are usually the meanest people. And I always say it's amazing that you know theology, but you don't know apology. I don't understand how you know theology. You know all the ologies except apology because you never apologize for anything you ever do. You can evangelize, but can't apologize. Something wrong. And I have to tell people, the deepest thing you can ever do is win somebody to Christ. That is deep. That is deep. It says this. It says this. Let's go to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter uh, number 13. Let's look at verse 1 through 3. This is the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul says, if I speak in the tongue of men or angels, that's Holy Spirit tongues, but I don't have love, I'm a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I get the prophecy, I can just call out your name. I know your middle name. I know what you ate last week. I know, I know, I know. Your number is 555-333. Guess what? If you have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all the mysteries, all knowledge, all the ologies, if you have faith that can move mountains, if you don't have love, you got nothing. If I give all that I have to possess to give to the poor, because you know it's all about outreach. If I have outreach, I just I got everything. If I give my body over to hardship, which means I made myself a martyr. He says, but if I don't have love, you're not that deep. If you can do all these mysterious things, but you don't have enough love to invite a lost person to church or to care how they're doing at all, God is talking to all of us and saying, we're not that deep. We got to get to a place where we say, you know what, God, change our hearts. Change our hearts. Because our hearts need to be changed towards you. You know what I think is happening to the son? I think the son didn't know what he was leaving. I think the son just thought he was leaving the house. I'm just leaving the house. Give me my property. Give me what I have, and I'm just leaving the house. But I think when he got far away and life hit him, he realized, I didn't just leave the house. I left my home. And I think there are many people who come to church and they see this as God's house. But my third point is this. God wants you to see this house and make it become your home. 
Because home is where you get your love. Home is where you get accountability. Home is where we wrap our arms around you. Home is where we uh, make sure that we correct you in areas that need to be corrected. Home is where you find forgiveness. Home is where you grow and learn those relationships. Home is where the Father's love can reach you. Home is where his grace pours on your life. Home is where you walk into goodness and mercy. Home is the place that God can restore you. Home is the place that God can put his hands on you. Because when you are away from home... The world will drown you in pleasure and leave you in pain. And God is saying today, don't just see this as a house. Because a house is where you visit. But a home is where you grow in. And God says, make this home. You know what we get to do next Sunday? You know, we call next Sunday the best Sunday of the year. You know what makes it the best Sunday of the year? You, your presence, you in the room, you bringing in your family and sitting here together and us worshiping the Lord together. Let's make this home. Because God is saying, when you come back home, I will wrap my love around you. I need every head bow, every eye closed. If you're in this room and you've been sensing that you've been far away from God or man, maybe you've been treating this more like a house instead of home. Maybe you've just been looking for blessings instead of relationship. Maybe you've just been looking for stuff and read instead of having a deep connection with the Savior and all that he's doing in the home. Can you do me a favor? Can you say, Holy Spirit, speak to me. Holy Spirit, speak to my heart. I'm not going back. I'm moving ahead. I'm here to declare to you, my past is over in you. All things are made new. Surrender my life to Christ. I'm moving, moving forward. Pray this prayer with me. Say, Lord, come into my heart. Save me now. I want to come back home. I want to return to your presence. I want to return to all that you are. Lord, I need you. I believe you are alive. I believe that you are my Lord and my Savior. I love you and I thank you for finding me. In Jesus' name, I need everybody to say, come on, I need everybody to say, Father, in the name of Jesus, every person who prayed that prayer at every campus for the first time, we declare right now that they belong to you, that they are yours, and they are sealed by the power of your Holy Spirit. So, Lord, rest in their life now. In Jesus' name we pray. I need everybody to say. I need everybody to say. I need everybody to say. All right, real quick. I need to fix one thing, one thing. I need to fix one thing, and then we are going to move on from this point right here. Can you do me a favor at every campus, just by show of hands? How many people have heard it said that the angels in heaven rejoice over one sinner who gives their life to the Lord? If you've ever heard that, can you raise your hand? Can you raise your hand? Can you raise your hand? If you've ever heard the angels in heaven rejoice over one sinner who gives their life to Christ. All right, if you've ever heard that, I hate to tell you this, but that's not what the scripture says. That is actually not in the Bible. 
And I believe that the reason why we don't know what the real verse says is because the enemy doesn't want us to know the real part of this scripture because it will show you just how much God wants you home. Can I show you what the real scripture says? Let me show you what it says. It's uh, Luke 15, verse number 10. Can you put it up? It says, in the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. It does not say that the angels are rejoicing. It says there's rejoicing in their presence. Who is the one that's rejoicing? The angels are saying, holy, holy, holy. It is God who stands up. And it's God who starts to dance and sing. And the angels say, why is he dancing and singing? He says, because I got another one who just came home. It's not God sitting back watching angels dance. No, God is the one who's dancing. Why? Because he's the father in the story. You know how a Jewish father runs? He has to lift up his robe. He's got to show his legs and he's got to run to his son. Every time someone comes home, God stands up, lifts up the robe of glory and he starts to run to you when you came on home. Can I get somebody in the room to open up your mouth, lift up your voice and say, God, I'm coming home. So, Lord, we cover every person here. And we pray that every person who prayed that prayer of salvation, that they're home and that you're rejoicing over their life. Come on, you may be seated. Can you put your hands together if you got a word today?